How good it is, my beloved brothers and sisters, to meet together once again. It has been just over 183 years since the Church was organized by the Prophet Joseph Smith under the direction of the Lord. At that meeting on April 6, 1830, there were six members of the Church present. I am happy to announce that we, two weeks ago, found that the membership of the Church reached 15 million. The Church continues to grow steadily and to change the lives of more and more people every year. It is spreading across the earth as our missionary force seeks out those who are searching for the truth. It has scarcely been one year since I announced the lowering of the age of missionary service. Since that time, the number of the full-time missionaries serving has increased from 58,500 in October 2012 to 80,333 today. What a tremendous and inspiring response we have witnessed. The Holy Scriptures contain no proclamation more relevant, no responsibility more binding, no instruction more direct than the injunction given by the resurrected Lord as He appeared in Galilee to the eleven disciples. Said He, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Close quote. The Prophet Joseph Smith declared, After all that has been said, the greatest and most important duty is to preach the gospel. Some of you here today will yet remember the words of President David O. McKay, who phrased the familiar, quote, Every member a missionary. To their words I add my own. Now is the time for members and missionaries to come together, to work together, to labor in the Lord's vineyard, to bring souls unto Him. He has prepared the means for us to share the gospel in a multitude of ways, and He will assist us in our labors if we will act in faith to fulfill His work. To help maintain our ever-increasing missionary force, I've asked our members in the past to contribute as they are able to their ward missionary fund or to the general missionary fund of the Church. The response to that request has been gratifying and has helped support thousands of missionaries whose circumstances do not allow them to support themselves. I thank you for your generous contributions. The need for help is ongoing, that we might continue to assist those whose desire to serve is great, but who do not by themselves have the means to do so. Now, brothers and sisters, we have come here to be instructed and inspired. Many messages covering a variety of gospel topics will be given during the next two days. Those men and women 
who will speak to you have sought heaven's help concerning the messages they will give. It is now my prayer that we may be filled with the Spirit of the Lord as we listen and learn. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Once there was a man who dreamed that he was in a great hall where all the religions of the world were gathered. He realized that each religion had much that seemed desirable and worthy. He met a nice couple who represented the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and asked, What do you require of your members? We do not require anything, they replied, but the Lord asked that we consecrate all. The couple went on to explain about church callings, home and visiting teaching, full-time missions, weekly family home evenings, temple work, welfare and humanitarian service, and assignments to teach. Do you pay your people for all the work they do? The man asked. Oh, no, the couple explained. They offer their time freely. Also, the couple continued, every six months our church members spend a weekend attending or watching 10 hours of general conference. Ten hours of people giving talks, the man wondered. What about your weekly church services? How long are they? Three hours every Sunday. Oh my, the man said. (laughs) Do members of your church actually do what you have said? That and more. We haven't even mentioned family history youth camps, devotionals, scripture study, leadership training, youth activities, early morning seminary, maintaining church buildings, and of course, there is the Lord's Law of Health, the monthly fast to help the poor, and tithing. The man said, now I'm confused. Why would anyone want to join such a church? (laughs) The couple smiled and said, We thought you would never ask. (laughs) Now, why would anyone join such a church? At a time where many churches throughout the world are experiencing significant decreases in numbers, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is one of the fastest-growing churches in the world. And you heard President Monson today. More than 15 million now. There are many reasons for this. But may I offer just a few. First, this church was restored in our day by Jesus Christ himself. Here you find the authority to act in his name, to baptize for the remission of sins, to confer the gift of the Holy Ghost, and to seal on earth and in heaven. Those who join this church love the Savior Jesus Christ, and they wish to follow him. They rejoice in the knowledge that God speaks to mankind again. When they receive sacred priesthood ordinances and make covenants with God, they can feel his power in their lives. 
when they enter the holy temple, they sense they are in his presence. When they read the holy scriptures and live the teachings of his prophets, they grow closer to the Savior they love so much. Another reason is because the church provides opportunities for doing good. Believing in God is commendable, but most people want to do more than listen to inspirational sermons or dream of their mansions above. They want to put their faith into practice. They want to roll up their sleeves and become engaged in this great cause. And that is what happens when they join with us. They have many opportunities to transform their talents, compassion, and time into good works. Because we have no paid local clergy in our worldwide congregations, our members perform the work of ministry themselves. They are called by inspiration. Sometimes we volunteer. Sometimes we are volunteers. We see assignments not as burdens, but as opportunities to fulfill covenants we gladly make to serve God and His children. A third reason why people join the Church is because walking the path of discipleship leads to precious blessings. We see baptism as the starting point in our journey of discipleship. Our daily walk with Jesus Christ leads to peace and purpose in this life and profound joy and eternal salvation in the world to come. Those who follow this path faithfully avoid many of the pitfalls, sorrows, and regrets of life. The poor in spirit and honest of heart find great treasures of knowledge here. Those who suffer or grieve find healing here. Those burdened with sin find forgiveness, liberty, and rest. The search for truth has led millions of people to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. However, there are some who leave the Church they once loved. One might ask, if the gospel is so wonderful, why would anyone leave? Sometimes we assume it is because they have been offended or lazy or sinful. Actually, it is not that simple. In fact, there is not just one reason that applies to the variety of situations. Some of our dear members struggle for years with the question whether they should separate themselves from the Church. In this Church that honors personal agency so strongly, that was restored by a young men who asked questions and sought answers. We respect those who honestly search for truth. It may break our hearts when their journey takes them away from the Church we love and the truth we have found, but we honor their right to worship Almighty God according to the dictates of their own conscience just as we claim the privilege for ourselves. 
Some struggle with unanswered questions about things that have been done or said in the past. We openly acknowledge that in nearly 200 years of Church history, along with an uninterrupted line of inspired, honorable, and divine events, there have been some things said and done that could cause people to question. Sometimes questions arise because we simply don't have all the information and we just need a bit more patience. When the entire truth is eventually known, things that didn't make sense to us before will be resolved to our satisfaction. Sometimes there's a difference of opinion as to what the facts really mean. A question that creates doubt in some can, after careful investigation, build faith in others. And to be perfectly frank, there have been times when members or leaders in the Church have simply made mistakes. There may have been things said or done that were not in harmony with our values, principles, or doctrine. I suppose the Church would only be perfect if it were run by perfect beings. God is perfect, and His doctrine is pure. But He works through us, His imperfect children, and imperfect people make mistakes. In the title page of the Book of Mormon, we read, And now, if there are faults, they are the mistakes of, mistakes of men. Wherefore, condemn not the things of God, that you may be found spotless at the judgment seat of Christ. This is the way it has always been and will be until the perfect day when Christ himself reigns personally upon the earth. It is unfortunate that some have stumbled because of mistakes made by men. But in spite of this, the eternal truth of the restored gospel found in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is not tarnished, diminished, or destroyed. As an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and as one who has seen firsthand the counsels and workings of this Church, I bear solemn witness that no decision of significance affecting this Church or its members is ever made without earnestly seeking the inspiration, guidance, and approbation of our Eternal Father. This is the Church of Jesus Christ. God will not allow His Church to drift from its appointed course nor fail to fulfill its divine destiny. To those who have separated themselves from the Church, I say, my dear friends, there is yet a place for you here. Come and add your talents, gifts, and energies to ours. We will all become better as a result. Some might ask, but what about my doubts? It is natural to have questions. 
The acorn of honest inquiry has often sprouted and matured into a great oak of understanding. There are few members of the Church who at one time or another have not wrestled with serious or sensitive questions. One of the purposes of the Church is to nurture and cultivate the seed of faith, even in the sometimes sandy soil of doubt and uncertainty. Faith is to hope for things which are not seen but which are true. Therefore, please, my dear brothers and sisters, my dear friends, first, doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. We must never allow doubt to hold us prisoner and keep us from the divine love, peace, and gifts that come through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some might say, I just don't fit in with you people in the church. If you could see into our hearts, you would probably find that you fit in better than you suppose. You might be surprised to find that we have yearnings and struggles and hopes similar to yours. Your background or upbringing might seem different from what you perceive in many Latter-day Saints, but that could be a blessing. Brothers and sisters, dear friends, we need your unique talents and perspectives, the diversity of persons and peoples around the globe is a strength of this Church. Some might say, I don't think I could live up to your standards. All the more reason to come. The Church is designed to nourish the imperfect, the struggling, and the exhausted. It is filled with people who desire with all their heart to keep the commandments even if they haven't mastered them yet. Some might say, I know a member of your church who is a hypocrite. I could never join a church that makes someone like him as a member. If you don't define hypocrites as someone who fails to live up perfectly to what he or she believes, then we are all hypocrites. None of us is quite as Christ-like as we know we should be. But we earnestly desire to overcome our faults and the desire to sin and to become better with the help of the Atonement of Jesus Christ. If these are your desires, then regardless of your circumstances, your personal history, or the strength of your testimony, there is room for you in this Church. Come, join with us. In spite of our human imperfections, I am confident that you will find among the members of this Church many of the finest souls this world has to offer. The Church, seems of, the, uh, the church of Jesus Christ seems to attract the kind and the caring, the honest and the industrious. If you expect to find perfect people here, you will be disappointed. But if you seek the pure doctrine of Christ, the Word of God, which healeth the wounded soul, and the sanctifying influence of the Holy Ghost, then here you will find them. 
in this age of waning faith, in this age where so many feel distance from heaven's embrace, here you will find a people who yearn to know and draw closer to their Savior by serving God and fellow men just like you. Come, join with us. I'm reminded of a time in the Savior's life when many abandoned him. Jesus asked his 12 disciples, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. There are times we have to answer the same question. Will we also go away? Or will we, like Peter, hold fast to the words of eternal life? If you seek truth, meaning, and a way to transform faith into action, if you are looking for a place of belonging, come, join with us. If you have left the faith you once embraced, come back again, join with us. If you are tempted to give up, stay yet a little longer. There's room for you here. I plead with all who hear or read these words, come join with us. Come heed the call of the gentle Christ. Take up your cross and follow him. Come join with us. For here you will find what is precious beyond price. I testify that here you will find the words of eternal life, the promise of blessed redemption, and the pathway to peace and happiness. I earnestly pray that your own search for truth will impress upon your heart the desire to come and join with us. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, I want to describe two important lessons I have learned about the law of tithing. The first lesson focuses upon the blessings that come to individuals and families as they faithfully obey this commandment. The second lesson emphasizes the importance of tithing in the growth of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in all of the world. I pray the Holy Ghost will confirm to each of us the truthfulness of the principles I discuss. Lesson number one, significant but subtle blessings. Sister Bednar's mother is a faithful woman and an inspired homemaker. From the earliest days of her marriage, she carefully has kept the household financial records. For decades, she has accounted conscientiously for the family income and expenditures using very simple ledgers. The information she has collected over the years is comprehensive and informative. When Sister Bednar was a young woman, her mother used the data in the ledgers to emphasize basic principles of provident living and prudent home management. One day, as they reviewed together various categories of expenses, her mother noted an interesting pattern. The costs for doctor visits and medicines for their family were far lower than might have been expected. 
She then related this finding to the gospel of Jesus Christ and explained to her daughter a powerful truth. As we live the law of tithing, we often receive significant but subtle blessings that are not always what we expect and easily can be overlooked. The family had not received any sudden or obvious additions to the household income. Instead, a loving Heavenly Father had bestowed simple blessings in seemingly ordinary ways. Sister Bednar always has remembered this important lesson from her mother about the help that comes to us through the windows of heaven as promised by Malachi in the Old Testament. Often as we teach and testify about the law of tithing, we emphasize the immediate, dramatic, and readily recognizable temporal blessings that we receive, and surely such blessings do occur. Yet some of the diverse blessings we obtain as we are obedient to this commandment are significant but subtle. Such blessings can only be discerned if we are both spiritually attentive and observant. The imagery of the windows of heaven used by Malachi is most instructive. Windows allow natural light to enter into a building. In like manner, spiritual illumination and perspective are poured out through the windows of heaven and into our lives as we honor the law of tithing. For example, a subtle but significant blessing we receive is the spiritual gift of gratitude that enables our appreciation for what we have to constrain desires for what we want. A grateful person is rich in contentment. An ungrateful person suffers in the poverty of endless discontentment. We may need and pray for help to find suitable employment. Eyes and ears of faith are needed, however, to recognize the spiritual gift of enhanced discernment that can empower us to identify job opportunities that many other people might overlook, or the blessing of greater personal determination to search harder and longer for a position than other people may be able or willing to do. We might want and expect a job offer, but the blessing that comes to us through heavenly windows may be greater capacity to act and change our own circumstances rather than expecting our circumstances to be changed by someone or something else. We may appropriately desire and work to receive a pay raise in our employment in order to better provide the necessities of life. Eyes and ears of faith are required, however, to notice in us an increased spiritual and temporal capacity to do more with less, a keener ability to prioritize and simplify, and an enhanced ability to take proper care of the material possessions we already have acquired. We might want and expect a larger paycheck, but the blessing that comes to us through heavenly windows may be greater capacity to change our own circumstances rather than expecting our circumstances to be changed by someone or something else. The stripling warriors in the Book of Mormon prayed earnestly that God would strengthen and deliver them out of the hands of their enemies. Interestingly, the answers to these prayers 
did not produce additional weapons or an increased number of troops. Instead, God granted these faithful warriors assurance that He would deliver them, peace to their souls, and great faith and hope for their deliverance in Him. Thus, the sons of Helaman did take courage, were fixed with a determination to conquer, and did go forth with all of their might against the Lamanites. Assurance, peace, faith, and hope initially might not seem like the blessings warriors in battle might want, but they were precisely the blessings these valiant young men needed to press forward and prevail physically and spiritually. Sometimes we may ask God for success, and He gives us physical and mental stamina. We might plead for prosperity, and we receive enlarged perspective and increased patience. Or we petition for growth and are blessed with the gift of grace. He may bestow upon us conviction and confidence as we strive to achieve worthy goals. And when we plead for relief from physical, mental, and spiritual difficulties, He may increase our resolve and resilience. I promise that as you and I observe and keep the law of tithing, in very deed the windows of heaven will be opened and spiritual and temporal blessings will be poured out such that there shall not be room enough to receive them. We also will remember the Lord's declaration. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I testify that as we are spiritually attentive and observant, we will be blessed with eyes that see more clearly, ears that hear more consistently, and hearts that understand more fully the significance and subtlety of His ways, His thoughts, and His blessings in our lives. Lesson number two, the simplicity of the Lord's way. Before my call to serve as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, I read many times in the Doctrine and Covenants about the Council appointed to oversee and disperse sacred tithing funds. The Council on the Disposition of the Tithes was established by Revelation and consists of the First Presidency, the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and the Presiding Bishopric. As I prepared in December of 2004 to attend my first meeting of this Council, I eagerly anticipated a most remarkable learning opportunity. I still vividly remember the things I experienced and felt in that Council. I gained a greater appreciation and reverence for the Lord's laws of finance for individuals, for families, and for His Church. The basic financial program of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for both income and disbursement is defined in sections 119 and 120 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Two statements found in these revelations provide the foundation for the fiscal affairs of the Church. Section 119 simply states that all members shall pay one-tenth of all their interest annually, and this shall be a standing law unto them forever, saith the Lord. 
Then, concerning the authorized disbursement of the tithes, the Lord said, It shall be disposed of by a council, composed of the first presidency of my church, and of the bishop and his council, and by my high council, and by mine own voice unto them, saith the Lord. The bishop and his council, and my high council referred to in this revelation, are known today as the presiding bishopric and the quorum of the Twelve Apostles, respectively. These sacred funds are used in a rapidly growing Church to spiritually bless individuals and families by constructing and maintaining temples and houses of worship, supporting missionary work, translating and publishing scriptures, fostering family history research, funding schools and religious education, and accomplishing many other Church purposes as directed by the Lord's ordained servants. Brothers and sisters, I marvel at the clarity and brevity of these two revelations in comparison to the complicated financial guidelines and administrative procedures used in so many organizations and governments around the world. How can the temporal affairs of an organization as large as the restored Church of Jesus Christ possibly operate throughout the entire world using such succinct instructions? To me, the answer is quite straightforward. This is the Lord's work. He is able to do His own work, and the Savior inspires and directs His servants as they apply His directions and labor in His cause. In that first Council meeting, I was impressed by the simplicity of the principles that guided our deliberations and decisions. In the financial operations of the Church, two basic and fixed principles are observed. First, the Church lives within its means and does not spend more than it receives. Second, a portion of the annual income is set aside as a reserve for contingencies and unanticipated needs. For decades, the Church has taught its membership the principle of setting aside additional food, fuel, and money to take care of emergencies that might arise. The Church as an institution simply follows the same principles that are taught repeatedly to the members. As the meeting progressed, I found myself wishing that all members of the Church could observe the simplicity, the clarity, the orderliness, the charity, and the power of the Lord's own way for conducting the temporal affairs of His Church. I have now participated in the Council on the Disposition of the Tithes for many years. My gratitude and reverence for the Lord's pattern has grown each year, and the lessons learned have become even more profound. My heart swells with love and admiration for the faithful and obedient members of this Church from every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. As I travel the earth, I learn about your hopes and dreams, your varied living conditions and circumstances, and your struggles. I have attended Church meetings with you and been blessed to visit in some of your homes. Your faith strengthens my faith. Your devotion makes me more devoted.
and your goodness and willing obedience to the law of tithing inspires me to be a better man, husband, father, and church leader. I remember and think of you each time I participate in the Council on the Disposition of the Tithes. Thank you for your goodness and faithfulness as you honor your covenants. The leaders of the Lord's Restored Church feel a tremendous responsibility to care appropriately for the consecrated offerings of Church members. We are keenly aware of the sacred nature of the widow's might. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. I know from firsthand experience that the Council on the Disposition of the Tithes is vigilant in caring for the widow's might. I express appreciation to President Monson and his counselors for their effective leadership in discharging this holy stewardship. And I acknowledge the voice and hand of the Lord that sustain His ordained servants in fulfilling the duty to represent Him. The honest payment of tithing is much more than a duty. It is an important step in the process of personal sanctification. To those of you who pay your tithing, I commend you. To those of you who presently are not obeying the law of tithing, I invite you to consider your ways and repent. I testify that by your obedience to this law of the Lord, the windows of heaven will be opened to you. Please do not procrastinate the day of your repentance. I testify spiritual and temporal blessings come into our lives as we live the law of tithing. I bear witness that such blessings often are significant but subtle. I also declare that the simplicity of the Lord's way that is so evident in the temporal affairs of His Church provides patterns that can guide us as individuals and as families. I pray each of us may learn and benefit from these important lessons. In the sacred name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. As a boy, while working in the fields with my mother, she taught me one of the most important lessons in life. It was late in the morning, the sun was up, and we had been hoeing for what I thought to be a very long time. I stopped to look back at what we had accomplished and say to my mother, look at all we have done. Mother did not respond. Thinking that she had not heard me, I repeated what I had said a little louder. She still did not reply. Raising my voice a little higher, I repeated again. Finally, she turned to me and said, Edward, never look back. 
look at what we still have to do. <laughs> my, my dear brothers and sisters, the covenant we made with the Lord when we were baptized to stand as witnesses of God at all times and in all things and in all places that we may be in is a lifelong commitment. President Ugdorf counseled, those who have entered the waters of baptism and received the gift of the Holy Ghost have set their feet on the path of discipleship and are charged to follow steadily and faithfully in the footsteps of our Savior. Close quote. The Lord, through his servants, calls us to serve in various callings, which we accept with total commitment when a release has been extended and a call in a different assignment had been issued. We joyfully accept it, knowing, as our forebearers knew, that in the service of the Lord, it is not where you serve, but how. Thus, when a stake president or a bishop is released, he joyfully accept, accepts his release. And when a calling is extended to serve in any way which the Lord through his servants seeth fit, he is not overshadowed by his previous experience, nor does he look back and think that he has saved enough. He is not weary in well-doing because he knows that he is laying the foundation of a great work, with a clear vision that such efforts blesses lives for eternities. Thus, out of small things proceeded that which is great. We should all be anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of our own free will and bring to pass much righteousness. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles counseled, the past is to be learned from but not lived in. We look back to claim the embers from glowing experiences but not ashes. And when we have learned what we need to learn and have brought with us the best that we have experienced, then we look ahead and remember that faith is always pointing towards the future. While my mother's lesson of looking ahead was directed in the visible weeds in the field, it was less in comparison to what the early saints went through. Elder Joseph B. Whitlin described this experience so well. Open court. In 1846, more than 10,000 people left the thriving city of Nauvoo, which had been built on the banks of the Mississippi River, with faith in prophetic leaders, those early church members left their city beautiful and struck off into the wildness of the American frontier. They did not know exactly where they were going, precisely how many miles lay ahead, how long the journey would take, or what the future held in store for them. But they did know they were led by the Lord and his servants. Close quote. They knew how it was to look ahead and believe. Over a decade and a half earlier, some of these members were present when a revelation was received 
For verily I say unto you, Blessed is he that keepeth my commandments, whether in life or in death. And he that is faithful in tribulation, the reward of the same is greater in the kingdom of heaven. You cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time the design of your God concerning those things which shall come hereafter, and the glory which shall follow after much tribulation. We too can look ahead and believe. We can embrace the invitation of our Lord, who with stretched open hands invites us, Come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and he shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Our dear prophet, President Thomas S. Monson, his counselors and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles have extended an invitation for us all to participate in the work of salvation. The new converts, youth, young adults, those who have retired from their professions, and full-time missionaries need to be equally yoked in hastening the work of salvation. President Boyd K. Parker of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles once attended an ox, an ox pulling contest where he drew out an analogy. He said of the experience, a wooden sledge was weighted with cement blocks, 10,000 pounds, five tons. The object was for the oxen to move the sledge three feet. I noticed a well-matched pair of very large brindled blue-gray animals, the big blue oxen of season past. In speaking about the result of the contest, he said, teams were eliminated one by one. The big blue oxen did not even place. A small, nondescript pair of animals, not very well matched for size, moved the sledge all three times. He was then given an explanation to the surprising outcome. The big blues were larger and stronger and better matched for size than the other team, but the little oxen had better teamwork and coordination. They hit the yoke together. Both animals jerked forward at exactly the same time, and the force moved the Lord. Close quote. As we look ahead and believe... We need this same teamwork in hastening the work of salvation. As we invite others to come unto Christ, in our individual capacities, we need to follow the counsel of President Dieter F. Ogdov to stand close together and lift where we stand. We can tap our full potential, just as was observed by Elder L. Tom Perry of the Quorum of the Twelve. I caught as I travel throughout the church, I marvel at the positive things that are occurring. Yet I never feel that we as a people are living up to our real potential. My sense is that we do not always work together, that we are still too much interested in aspirations for personal honors and success and show too little interest in the common goal of building the kingdom of God. 
May we all unite in a common objective to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, who sees from the beginning to the end, knew very well. The road he would travel to Gethsemane and Golgotha when he proclaimed, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. In the sight of the Lord, it is not so much on what we have done or where we have been, but much more on where we are willing to go. Our guiding principles were taught to us by the prophet Joseph Smith, open court. The fundamental principles of our religion are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ. He died, was buried, and rose again the third day, and ascended into heaven. And all other things which pertain to our religion are only appendages to it. I testify that as we follow the example of our Savior Jesus Christ and raise our hands to the square with action in sustaining our beloved prophet, President Thomas S. Monson, we will find peace, comfort, joy, and we shall eat the good of the land in these last days. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. In the family, a proclamation to the world, the First Presidency and Quorum of Twelve Apostles state, All human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. Each is a beloved spirit, son, or daughter of heavenly parents, and as such, each has a divine nature and destiny. To achieve this divine destiny, each son and daughter of God needs priesthood ordinances and covenants. We need baptism. When we are immersed in the waters of baptism, we covenant to take Christ's name upon us, to always remember Him and keep His commandments and serve Him to the end, that we may always have His Spirit to be with us. We need the gift of the Holy Ghost. Through that ordinance, we have access to the constant companionship of the Spirit. President Wilfred Woodruff taught, Every man or woman that has ever entered into the Church of God and be baptized for the remission of sins has a right to revelation, a right to the Spirit of God, to assist them in their labors, in their administrations to their children, in counseling their children, and those over whom they are called to preside. The Holy Ghost is not restricted to men nor apostles or prophets. It belongs to every faithful man and woman and to every child who is old enough to receive the gospel of Christ. We need to receive the temple endowment. Elder M. Russell Ballard said, When men and women go to the temple, they are endowed with the same power. This, by definition, is priesthood power. The endowment is literally a gift of power. We need the sealing ordinance, which leads to eternal life, the greatest of all the gifts of God. This priesthood ordinance is received only by a man and a woman together. Elder Russell M. Nelson taught, Priesthood authority has been restored so that families can be sealed eternally. 
We need the opportunity to renew our covenants each week as we partake of the sacrament. Latter-day prophets and apostles have taught that when we worthily partake of the sacrament, we renew not only our baptismal covenant, but all covenants entered into with the Lord. These priesthood ordinances and covenants provide access to the fullness of the blessings promised to us by God, which are made possible by the Savior's Atonement. They arm sons and daughters of God with power—God's power—and provide us with the opportunity to receive eternal life, to return to God's presence, and live with Him in His eternal family. I recently went with priesthood leaders to visit the homes of four women in Honduras. These sisters and their families were in need of priesthood keys and authority priesthood ordinances and covenants, and priesthood power and blessings. We visited a dear sister who is married and has two beautiful children. She is faithful and active in the Church, and she is teaching her children to choose the right. Her husband supports her in her Church activity, but he is not a member. Their family is strong, but to enjoy greater strength, they need additional priesthood blessings. They need the Father to receive the ordinances of baptism and the gift of the Holy Ghost and to have the priesthood conferred upon Him. They need the priesthood power that can come through endowment and sealing. Our next visit was to the home of two single sisters, women of great faith. One sister has a son preparing for a mission. The other sister is receiving treatment for cancer. In times of discouragement and despair, they remember the Savior's Atonement and are filled with faith and hope. They both need the additional blessings and power available through temple ordinances. We encourage them to join the future missionary in their home in preparing to receive those ordinances. Our last visit was to the home of a sister whose husband recently died in a tragic accident. A recent convert to the Church She had not understood that she could receive her own endowment and be sealed to her husband. When we taught her that these blessings could be available to her and her deceased husband, she was filled with hope. Knowing that through these temple ordinances and covenants her family can be sealed together, she has faith and determination to face the trials ahead. This widow's son is preparing to receive the Aaronic priesthood. His ordination will be a great blessing to her and to her family. They will then have a priesthood holder in their home. When I met these faithful women in Honduras, I could see that they were striving to keep their family active in the gospel. They expressed gratitude for covenant-keeping ward members who tenderly watch over them and help support their temporal and spiritual needs. However, each of these sisters had needs that had not been fully met. In each of these three homes we visited, a wise priesthood leader asked each sister if she had received a priesthood blessing. Each time the answer was no. Each sister asked for and received a priesthood blessing that day. Each wept with gratitude as she expressed gratitude for the comfort and direction encouragement and inspiration that come from her Heavenly Father through a worthy priesthood holder. These sisters inspired me 
They showed reverence for God and His power and authority. I was also grateful for the priesthood leaders who visited these homes with me. When we left each home, we counseled together about how to help these families receive the ordinances they needed to progress on the covenant path and strengthen their homes. There exists today a great need for men and women to cultivate respect for each other as sons and daughters of God and reverence for our Father in Heaven and His priesthood, His power and authority. He has a plan for us. And when we exercise our faith and trust in His plan, our reverence for Him and for His priesthood power and authority will be strengthened. In the worldwide leadership training on strengthening family, through the Church through the, and the Church through the priesthood, we were taught that sisters who don't have priesthood holders in their homes need never feel alone. They are blessed and strengthened through the ordinances they have received and the covenants they keep. They should not hesitate to reach out when help is needed. Elder M. Russell Ballard taught that every woman in the Church needs to know that she has a bishop, an elders' quorum president, a home teacher, and other worthy priesthood holders who she can rely on to come into her home and assist her, and, as Sister Rosemary M. Wixom added, to give a blessing. Elder Ballard also taught, Our Heavenly Father is generous with His power. All men and women have access to this power for help in their own lives. All who have made sacred covenants with the Lord and who honor those covenants are eligible to receive personal revelation, to be blessed by the ministering of angels, and to commune with God. We all need each other. Sons of God need daughters of God. And daughters of God need sons of God. We have different gifts and strengths. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it emphasizes the need for sons and daughters of God, each one of us, to fulfill our individual roles and responsibilities according to the Lord's plan, that all may benefit. Sons of God, do you know who you are? Do you know what you have? Are you worthy to exercise the priesthood and receive the power and blessings of the priesthood? Do you embrace your roles and responsibilities to strengthen homes as fathers, grandfathers, sons, brothers, and uncles? Do you show respect for women, womanhood, and motherhood? Daughters of God, do we know who we are? Do we know what we have? Are we worthy to receive the power and blessings of the priesthood? Do we receive the gifts given to us with gratitude, grace, and dignity? Do we embrace our roles and responsibilities to strengthen homes as mothers, grandmothers, sisters, daughters, and aunts? Do we show respect for men, manhood, and fatherhood? As covenant sons and daughters, do we have faith in our Heavenly Father and His eternal plan for us? Do we have faith in Jesus Christ and His Atonement? Do we believe that we have a divine nature and destiny? And in our efforts to achieve this destiny and receive all that the Father has, do we understand the importance of receiving priesthood ordinances and making, keeping, 
and renewing our covenants with the Lord. We are beloved spirits, sons and daughters of heavenly parents, with a divine nature and destiny. Our Savior Jesus Christ loved us enough to give His life for us. His Atonement provides a way for us to progress on the path to our heavenly home through sacred priesthood ordinances and covenants. These priesthood ordinances and covenants were restored to the earth through the prophet Joseph Smith. And today, President Thomas S. Monson holds all the keys of the priesthood on the earth. Elder D. Todd Christofferson taught, In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is found the priesthood authority to administer the ordinances by which we can enter into binding covenants with our Father in Heaven in the name of His Holy Son. God will keep His promises to you as you honor your covenants with Him. Of these things I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mormon taught that a man can't have faith and hope save he shall be meek and lowly of heart. He added that without such attributes, faith and hope is vain, for none is acceptable before God before save the meek and lowly heart. Meekness is the quality of those who are God-fearing, righteous, humble, teachable, and patient under suffering. Those who possess this attribute are willing to follow Jesus Christ, and their temperament is calm, docile, tolerant, and submissive. The Apostle Paul taught that meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, it can most easily be attained if we live in the Spirit. And to live in the Spirit, our lifestyle must reflect righteousness before the Lord. As we take Christ's name upon us, it is expected that we strive to emulate His attributes and change our character to become more like Him each day. The Savior, admonishing His disciples, said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. If we come unto Christ, deny ourselves of all ungodliness, and love God, then through Christ's grace the day will come when we may be perfected in Him. Christ-like attributes are gifts from God. These attributes come as we use our agency righteously. With a desire to please God, we have to recognize our weaknesses and be willing and anxious to improve. Meekness is vital for us to become more Christ-like. Without it, we won't be able to develop other important virtues. Being meek does not mean weakness, but does mean behaving with goodness and kindness, showing strength, serenity, health, self-worth, and self-control. Meekness was one of the most abundant attributes in the Savior's life. He himself taught his disciples, Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. We are blessed to be born with the seed of meekness in our hearts. We need to understand that it is not possible to grow and develop that seed in the twinkling of an eye, but rather through the process of time. Christ asked us to take up our cross daily, meaning that it must be a constant focus and desire. President Lorenzo Snow, the fifth prophet of our dispensation, taught, It is our duty to try to be perfect, to improve each day, 
and to look upon our course last week and do things better this week, do things better today than we did them yesterday. So the first step to becoming meek is to improve day by day. Each day we need to, be, to try to be better than the previous as we move forward through this process. President Snow added, We have our little follies and our weaknesses. We should try to overcome them as fast as possible and should instill this feeling in the hearts of our children that they may learn to behave properly before Him under all circumstances. If the husband can live with his wife one day without quarreling or without treating anyone unkindly or without grieving the Spirit of God, he is so far perfect. Then let him try to be the same the next day. But supposing he should fail in this his next day's attempt, there is no reason why he should not succeed in doing so the third day. Upon acknowledging our dedication and perseverance, the Lord will give us that which we are not able to attain due to our imperfections and human weaknesses. Another important step to becoming meek is learning how to control our temper. Because the natural man dwells within each one of us and because we live in a world of full of pressure, controlling our temper may become one of the challenges in our lives. Think for a few seconds how you react when someone doesn't comply with your desires the moment you want them to. What about when people disagree with your ideas, even though you are absolutely sure that they represent the proper solution to a problem? What is your response when someone offends you, critiques your efforts, or is simply unkind because they are in a bad mood? All these moments and in other difficult situations, we must learn to control our temper and convey our feelings with patience and gentle persuasion. This is most important within our homes and within our relationships with our eternal companions. During the 31 years I've been married to my sweetheart, she has often given me gentle reminders of this as we have faced life's unsettling challenges. Among instructions found in the second epistle of Th to Timothy, the Apostle Paul said, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves. By controlling our reactions, being calm and temperate, and avoiding contention, we will begin to qualify for the gift of meekness. President Henry B. Eyring once said, When we with faith control our tempers and subdue our pride, the Holy Ghost gives His approval and sacred promises and covenants become sure. Another step to attain meekness is to become humble. The Lord instructed Thomas B. Marsh through the prophet Joseph Smith, saying, Be thou humble and the Lord thy God shall lead thee by the hand and give thee answer to thy prayers. I believe, brothers and sisters, that only those who are humble are able to acknowledge and understand the Lord's answers to their prayers. The humble are teachable, recognizing how dependent they are on God and desiring to be subject to His will. 
The humble are meek and have the ability to influence others to be the same. God, God's promises to the humble is that we will lead them by the hand. I truly believe that we will avoid detours and sadness in our lives as long as we walk hand in hand with the Lord. One of the most <clears throat> beautiful modern-day examples of meekness that I am aware of is that of Brother Moses Mathlangu. His conversion began in 1964 when he received a copy of the Book of Mormon. <clears throat> he was fascinated as he read this book. But it was not until the early 70s that he saw an LDS sign on a building in Johannesburg, South Africa, as he was walking down a street. Brother Mathlangu was in intrigued and he entered the building to learn more about the church. He was kindly told that he could not attend the services or be baptized because the country's laws did not allow, did not allow it at that time. Brother Mathlangu accepted that decision with meekness, humility, and without resentment. But he continued to have a strong desire to learn more about the church. He asked the church leaders if they could leave one of the meeting house windows open during the Sunday meetings so he could sit outside and listen to the services. For several years, Brother Mathlangu's family and friends attended the church regularly through the window. One day in 1980, they were told that they could attend church and also be baptized. What a glorious day it was for Brother Mathlongo. Later, the church organized a branch in his neighborhood in Soweto. This was only possible because of the determination, courage, and faithfulness of people like Brother Mathlongo, who remained faithful for so many years under difficult circumstances. <clears throat> One of Brother Malongo's friends who had joined the church at the same time, recounted this story to me when I visited the Soweto estate. At that end of our conversation, he gave me a hug. At that moment, brothers and sisters, I felt as I was if I was encircled in the Savior's loving arms. Meekness emanated from his good brother's eyes. With a heart full of goodness and deep gratitude, he asked if I could just tell President Monson how grateful and blessed he and many others were for having the truth gospel in their lives. Brother Mathlangu and his friend's example of meekness truly influenced many lives for good, especially mine. Brothers and sisters, I believe the Savior Jesus Christ is the supreme example of meekness. Even during the last moments of his mortal life, being unfairly accused and condemned, painfully carrying his cross up to Golgotha, being mocked and cursed by his enemies, being abandoned by many who knew him and had witnessed his miracles, he was nailed on the cross. Even after the most intense physical suffering, the Lord turned to his Father and spoke from the bottom of his meek and humble heart, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christ faced extreme physical and spiritual suffering, giving us the opportunity to change our spiritual character and become like Him. I bear my witness that Jesus Christ is our Savior. I testify to you that thanks to His love, it is possible to change. It is possible 
to leave our weaknesses behind. It is possible to reject the evil influences in our lives, control our anger, become meek, and develop the attributes of our Savior. He showed us the way. He gave, gave us perfect, the perfect example and commanded to teach one of us to become as He is. His invitation to us is to follow Him, follow His example, and become like Him. Of these truths I bear testimony in His sacred name, even Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, President Monson, for your teaching example of Christ-like service and your charge for all of us to be missionaries. We ever pray for thee. In our dispensation, the Savior, Jesus Christ, referred to a gathering of the saints as my general conference. Wherever we are in this world, however we receive these proceedings, I testify that we are gathered in his conference. I also testify that we will hear his word, for he has said, whether it be by by my own voice or by the voice of my servants, it is the same. Conferences have always been part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Adam gathered his posterity and prophesied of things to come. Moses gathered the children of Israel and taught them the commandments he had received. The Savior taught multitudes, gathered both in the Holy Land and on the American continent. Peter gathered believers in Jerusalem. The first general conference in these latter days uh, were convened just two months after the Church was organized and has continued to this very day. These conferences are always under the direction of the Lord, guided by His Spirit. We are not assigned specific topics. Over the weeks and months, often through sleepless nights, we wait upon the Lord through fasting, prayer, study, and pondering. We learn the message that He wants us to give. Some might ask, why doesn't it, the inspiration come more easily and quickly? The Lord taught Oliver Cowdery, you must study it out in your mind. Then you must ask if it be right. Conference messages come to us after prayerful preparation through the Holy Ghost. This principle is true of all members of the Church as they prepare and participate in wards, stake, and general conferences. We study it out in our minds on what we need and desire from the Heavenly Father, and we pray to understand and apply that which we are taught. As the time for conference arrives, we sacrifice other activities 
laying aside the things of this world to seek the things of a better. Then we gather our families to hear the word of the Lord, as King Benjamin's people did. Children and youth love to be included. We make a serious mistake if we assume that the conference is above their intellect and spiritual sensitivity. To the young members of the Church, I promise that you will, if you will listen, you will feel the Spirit well up within you. The Lord will tell you what He wants to do with your life. In conferences, we can receive the word of the Lord meant just for us. One member testified, As I listened to your address, I was astounded. Your talk was personal revelation directly from the Lord to my family. I have never experienced such a strong manifestation of the Spirit in my life as those minutes when the Holy Ghost spoke directly to me. Another said, I have never before felt so profoundly that a talk was being given to me. This is possible because the Holy Ghost carries the word of the Lord onto our hearts in terms we can understand. When I take notes at conference, I do not always write down exactly what the speaker is saying. I note the personalized direction the Spirit is giving me. What is said is not as important as what I hear and what I feel. That is why we make an effort to experience conference in a setting where it is still small voice of the Spirit can be clearly heard, felt, and understood. Oh, how we need general conference. Through conferences, our faith is fortified and our testimonies deepened. And when we are converted, we strengthen each other. When we stand strong amid the fiery dollars of these last days, in recent decades, the Church has already been <clears throat> spared the terrible misunderstandings and persecutions experienced by the early saints. It will not always be so. The world is moving away from the Lord faster and farther than ever before. The, adverse, the adversary has been loosed upon the earth. We watch, we hear, read study and share the words of prophets to be renewed and protected. For example, the family of proclamation to the world was given long before we experienced the challenges now facing the family. The living Christ, the testimony of the apostles, was prepared in advance of when we will need it most. We may not know all the reason why the prophets and conference speakers address us with certain topics in conference, but the Lord does. President Harold B. Lee taught, The only safety we have as members of this Church is to give, give heed to the words 
and commandments the Lord shall give through his prophets. There will be some things that take patience and faith. You may not like what comes from the authority of the Church. It may contradict your personal views. It may contradict your social views. It may interfere with some of your social life. But if you listen to these things, as if from the mouth of the Lord Himself, with patience and faith, the promise is that the gates of hell shall not prevail against you, and the Lord will disperse the powers of darkness from before you and cause the heavens to shake for your good and his namesake and glory. Amen. How did President Lee know what we would be facing in our day? He knew because he is a prophet, seer, and revelator. And if we listen and obey the prophets now, including those who speak in this very conference, we'll be strengthened and protected. The greatest blessings of General Conference come to us after the conference is over. Remember the pattern recorded frequently in the Scripture. We gather to hear the words of the Lord, and we return to our homes to live them. After King Benjamin taught his people, he dismissed the multitude. They returned, everyone, according to their families, to their houses. In his day, Kim Limhi did the same. After teaching and listening to the people at the temple in Bountiful, the Savior entreated the people, Go ye unto your homes, and ponder upon the things which I have said, and ask the Father in my name, that you may understand and prepare your minds for the morrow, and I will come again unto you. We accept the Savior's invitation when we ponder and pray to understand what we've been taught, and then go forward and do His will. Remember President Kimball's words, I have made my mind that when I go home from this general conference, there are many areas in my life that I can perfect. I have made a mental list of them, and I expect to go to work as soon as we get through. President Monson recently said, I encourage you to read the talks and to ponder the message contained therein. I have found in my own life that I gain even more from these inspired sermons when I study them in greater depth. In addition to personal and family scripture study, Heavenly Father wants us to study regularly and apply what we've learned in conference. I testify that those who put their trust in the Lord and heed the counsel and faith will gain great strength to bless themselves, their families, for generations to come. Heavenly Father has provided the way. At this conference, 97% of the Church can hear these messages in their own language. Millions of members in 197 countries will watch this conference 
in 95 languages. In just two or three days, the messages will appear on LDS.org in English. And within one week, they will begin to be available in 52 languages. Now we receive the printed church magazines within three weeks of the general conference. No longer do we have to wait months for the talks to arrive by mail. On a computer, a phone, or other electronic device, we can read, listen to, watch, and share the teachings of the prophets anytime, anywhere. We can enlarge our knowledge, strengthen our faith and testimony, protect our families, and lead them safely home. The messages of this conference will also be woven into the online youth curriculum. Parents, you may access youth lessons for yourself on LDS.org. Find out what your children are learning and make the subject of your own study, family discussions, family home evenings, family councils, and personal interviews with each of your children with what they need to be taught individually. I encourage all members to use the resources of the Church websites and mobile apps. They are continually being refined so that they are easier to use and more relevant to our lives. On LDS.org, we can find resources to help you study the gospel, strengthen your home and family, and serve in your calling that you can teach and testify. You can also find your ancestors who need temple ordinances and resources and support you in the work of salvation, including sharing the gospel. Parents can take the lead in preparing their children for baptism, the priesthood, full-time missions, and the temple. They can help us walk the straight and narrow path of temple ordinances and covenants and qualify for the blessings of eternal life. In last April's conference, in the General Priesthood meeting, I told about my father <clears throat> drawing a picture of a knight in armor to teach me about putting on the whole armor of God and the spiritual protection it brings. After that session was over, a father reported to his family what he had learned. Inspired, their young son Jason searched LDS.org to hear the message for himself. A few days later, he appeared in family home evening to share the lesson with his brothers and sisters. Here he is, a simple conference message, inspired of the Lord, received by a child who taught to his family in a personal and powerful way. I love his breastplate of righteousness. I love his shield of faith to thwart the fiery darts of the adversary. These are the blessings of conference. My brothers and sisters, I bear my special witness that the Lord Jesus Christ lives and stands at the head of this Church. This is his conference. 
I promise you in His name that if you pray with sincere desire to hear your Father's voice in the messages of this conference, you you will discover that He has spoken to you and to help you, to strengthen you, and to lead you home into His presence. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.